building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. Talking to Dr. Meg Meeker, who, uh, PhD, child psychology, written a bunch of amazing books. We started off by talking about how I'd read your book, Strong Father, Strong Daughter, years ago, and it made a huge impact on my life. But you've written books about fathers and sons. What you know is you know kids. And so, therefore, through the kids' eyes, seeing massive abuse, neglect, stupid decisions, you've been able to then write some great books and give some great lectures about how parents should um how they can do better let me give you a little social thing on my own and then i want to ask a follow-up question because i want to dig down a little bit more but number one i would say i've been saying for years now how how are teenage kids supposed to rebel bono asked the question where are the angry young men well you know in our day um rebelling was smoking in the boys room you know a lot of the motley crew song or the remake um having sex rock and roll those were all horrible things. And we were against the teachers and, you know, we would stand up and, you know, light our cigarette and not me, but you know, guys would light their cigarette up and they used to go out in the pit with their Iron Maiden t-shirts on and smoke the cigarettes. How are you supposed to rebel nowadays when everything is just wonderful? You're, you're, as a kid, you sort of need to rebel against authority, but when authority is more and more pushing you towards perversion, it's like uh, the, Hey, the best rebellion you could have is to be a Christian, you know, yeah. secondly, the guilt and shame of our culture today that's coming down from these different places. If you are a white person, especially a white boy, mm-hmm. you are, are automatically so guilted. And many of these teachers, again, I hear from my daughter telling me about, you know, being a school teacher are shaming these kids so much. There are a lot of kids who want to be accepted. They don't want to be guilty. And if, if you're guilty because you're a white male, the best way to not be guilty is to be gay or transgender because then nobody can attack you anymore. So we have to, as parents, realize that sometimes our sons or daughters are coming to us either because they're trying to rebel and there's, it's harder to find a way to rebel anymore, or they're tired of being condemned for who they are as people. And what we need to do is tell them it's okay to be who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So the next, the question I want to ask you though, is you've done a great job of talking about don't, don't overreact and, and let's have patience and time will probably heal most of these as we've seen through science, they're, they're always pushing us to socialists to accept the science until it doesn't agree with them. And then they don't want us to accept the science and the transgender, the science is not on their side at all. But what, what about though, the child that's 14 old enough to sort of be a pain in your rear end who just says, I'm going to dress in boys clothes or I'm going to wear a dress. So you, you're on the one hand, you're talking about not transitioning, but your son's telling you, I'm going to put a dress on. I mean, how much do you put your foot down and say, you're not walking out of this house in a dress? I mean, where, where do you land with that? Well, it's easier for girls because they can dress like a boy, act like a boy, and they can get away with it. And, right. and they can say, well, um, you don't let a boy go to school in a dress. So you're a period. No, absolutely. You're a boy when you're 18. If you want to dress up exactly. like. Exactly. exactly. But here's the thing. Um, this is our home. And these are our rules. And I know you don't like them, but that's just the way it is. Um, and I, I own your car. I own your cell phone. I own your clothes. I own everything. Now, you don't have to get to that point. But I think that 
parents, particularly fathers, are afraid to step up and say what's right. I also tell them this. I believe a father should be in charge of a teenage girl's wardrobe. Now, mothers hate that. Because this is typically what happens. Girl comes down, she's 16, she's going up to school, she's barely covered up, um, this very, very short skirt. Dad says, uh-uh, you're not going to school looking like that. And mom runs in and says, you just don't understand. This is what girls do. She needs to fit in. And so dad backs away. The problem is the dad does understand. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he doesn't want his daughter being perceived like, you know, a girl for sale. Sorry. Um, and I think that this is where men have sort of, I, I, I often say husbands and fathers have been thrown into orbit around the home. You know, mom and the kids are in the middle and dad orbits and touches down periodically to offer, you know, some advice or do this. But basically we sort of throw them out there. And that's a perfect example. So I don't, you don't let your boy go to school in a dress. Um, as, as far as um, rebelling, my belief is a lot of kids are rebelling, but we say it's normal behavior. Okay. A lot of the trans stuff is rebelling. A lot of the acting out um, is rebelling. But the problem is their their rebellion's accepted and that makes them crazier. Right. There's no sense that what I'm doing is wrong. Okay. In order to rebel, you have to go against what you think is wrong. But if there's no wrong, you can go off and do that wrong. But what happens in your heart, you know, it's wrong. And so you turn that anger against yourself. And that's where depression comes in. That's why suicides are up because there's no right and wrong. And every child gets angry at themselves because they do all this stuff and nobody says anything and they feel like an idiot. And then there's shame on top of that because they feel shame, even though no one says you're ashamed. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, really bad behavior. Boys who are sleeping around with 15 girls. Okay. Um, In my day, that was a shameful thing to do. You just didn't do it. But today it's so accepted, but boys still feel the shame. Yes. I'm sorry, they just do because that's how they're wired. But nobody says you should feel ashamed. So they internalize it and then it all explodes. And that is where depression and suicide comes in. So I really do think a lot of kids are rebelling right under our nose and we're passing it off as normal teen behavior. It's not. It's not normal teen behavior because kids know better than adults many times what's right behavior and what's wrong behavior. And when dad goes, all right, you know, okay, you can transition at 10 if you want to. Why not? That kid hurts so much inside because dad didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't I don't know about this. Let's get to the sort of nexus of what you talk about, because you unabashedly talk about dads being strong. I mean, you you say things that that are surprising for a, a woman and for a PhD. You're you're not screwing around. You want dads to be strong, and and uh, I think the message you have for fathers is so incredibly important. Um, it's time for dads to, st- to stop apologizing. That you know, um, culture, the world. Jesus said, "If you're doing it right, the world will hate you." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ken's translation: If the world doesn't hate you, then you're doing it wrong. So the idea that, well, gosh, the world says I shouldn't be a strong dad. What should you be? And so we don't apologize for who we are. And it could cause marriage problems. It could cause 
um, problems with your kids, if you suddenly change, you need to do it with grace and and communication with your wife. If you're suddenly going to start being a strong dad, you know, don't suddenly run in like a, a bull in a china shop, but just explain to your wife and sometimes even apologizing to your child. I'm a big a fan of fathers apologizing to their kids from a position of strength and then humility. You know, I've made this mistake and I'm very sorry. You know, daughter who's 14, um, I haven't really been how I should and I've, I'm really going to start to change. And I, I, I want to work with you on this, but I'm sorry if suddenly you feel like you're taken aback, but let's communicate about this. Don't just come rushing in. Mm. But dads, you know, I used to tell my daughter, look, boys don't want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. And you see these beer commercials, you know, and it's it's six guys and a woman mountain climbing. OK, that's not real. That's fantasy world um, because they're trying to sell beer. Um, and I and I know that, you know, gosh, women get angry when they hear this because they want to think that men want to be their friends. Men want sex. And it's a horrible, terrible thing to say. But if a guy is really wanting to be around a girl all the time, it's either from a good reason of he wants to date her and marry her and he's a gentleman and all this kind of stuff. Or more often, it's for a bad reason he wants to have sex with her. But guys just don't want to hang out with a girl and be pals with a girl just to be pals, and it's completely platonic. It just doesn't happen. Um, and someone's going, well, I knew this one time out of a million that it happened. Okay, well, maybe one time out of a million. But I used to tell my daughter that. If you have a guy who's showing interest in you, I don't care how much he, he seems like he's your pal, there's something else going on there. And, and if you know that going in, then you know how to deal with it. It's okay to be friends with the guy, but you need to understand what's happening. Um, when a guy is giving you attention because your skirt is three inches below your crotch or your boobs are hanging out, he's not really giving you attention. He sees you as an object. He doesn't see you as a human. He doesn't see you as a person with dreams and a mom and a dad and someone who really wants to make something of yourself. He sees you as a pair of breasts. And so that attention you're getting is not any kind of attention that you want. And if your friends want to get that kind of attention, that's their choice. But in our house, that doesn't get to be your choice until you're 18. And the last thing I'll say on that, because people want to hear you talking about me, but is on the privacy thing that you brought up for my boys. I told them both when they came to pornography, your phones, your computers are not yours. They're mine. All of your passwords will be mine. I will check your phone periodically whenever I want, your computer whenever I want. If I see any pornography on there, any nude pictures of any girls, you will miss the next sports season, the whole sports season. And it's on you to explain to your coach, because they were three sport kids, why you're not going to be playing football or wrestling or or, or whatever, because um, that's how it will be. And I told him, when you're 18, if you want to look at porn and be a perv, that's your deal. But until you're 18, it's my deal. And so I'm telling guys now how I was a dad. And I really love the fact that you kind of affirm how I was a dad. Cause you know what? It worked remarkably with my sons. Mm-hmm. Um, boys need help to become men. That's why God gave them fathers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we need to be strong and unapologetic again, gracious and humble and try to be empathetic. Cause I remember the powerful sexual drive of being a 15 year old boy. It is beyond any sort of reason And you know what helped me? I had a really strong dad who was a retired professional boxer who I didn't want to mess with. So I did nothing that would ever make my dad upset with me. And there was a grace in that. And I said to my dad, he was really harsh in many ways, but I thanked him because my marriage 31 years later is so blessed because my dad was so clear with me about masturbation, about lusting after women, about sexual uh, perversion and I'm so thankful that my marriage is so much easier than other men's 
because I never got into that garbage because my dad terrified me. Mm-hmm. Did he do it the right way? I, there are probably better ways to do it, but it sure worked. And mm-hmm. so I think we need to start being erring on the side of being strong fathers uh, instead of apologetic little wimps that are trying to do what the world tells us is okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, when, when we think about um, authority and strength, I think of leadership, men are afraid to lead um, because they're afraid of being seen as oppressive and a hammer. And I think if you, if you lead like Jesus led, you know, everybody in his presence knew he had an extraordinary strength Mm-hmm. But he didn't have to go around, you know, hammering it on people. So if you come in and you know you have strength and you know you have authority, everybody's going to know it. But a lot of men question that so they go, I, I just don't know if I say anything. I kind of don't want, want to mess up my kid emotionally, psychologically, this kind of a thing, because that's what they're trained to do. But I think that what you have to realize is, you know, you have to listen to your instincts first of all. And, you know, if you have a daughter and you don't want that daughter dating some creeper or going to school dressed a certain way, you have to say, here are the rules. And you can't go dress to school this way because A, you know, here's why it's wrong and here's why it's dehumanizing. And also my job as a dad is not to let you do that because I'm training you how to live a great life when you're 25. That's my job. It's like keeping you off of Burger King every day so that when you're 25, you're not living on fast food. It's the same thing. My son and I had a knock knockdown drag out um, over video games when he was in high school. <laughs> and I said, it's my house, no videos. And my husband supported me. I mean, we were both on this. And it's very interesting. He went off to college the first year. He came home and he said, mom, Thank you so much for not letting me play video games. He said, when I went off to college and I see all these parents paying $50,000 for these kids, these guys are sitting in a dark room for hours playing video games. It kind of sickened me. And, and, and so kids eventually know that they're going to see that what you're teaching them is good, feels good and works well. When they're teenagers and you're telling them not to do these certain things, deep down they know it's right, but they don't want it so intensely because they desperately want to be with their friends or be like their friends. And I get that. But if you don't show them, you know, I kind of feel like, um, you know, if your kids are walking along a path, say or say you're you like to bowl, okay, and you're teaching your kids and you're throwing that ball down the alley. You would never take a kid who didn't know anything and who didn't know how to bowl and just let him throw a gutter ball. You put bumpers in the gutter lanes, right? So the kid can't go nutty and can't go nutty. That's what you're to do is you have to be that guard and you have to be willing for your kids to slam into you and you don't get knocked over. I'm sorry you don't want to. I'm sorry I can't let you wear those clothes, but oh, well. Those are the rules. I'm sorry I have to teach you, you know, how to how to stay away from pornography, but this is the way the world is, and it's gonna it's gonna wreck you. But I do believe you really have to sh- you have to lead in front of your kids and show them how to do it. Because kids don't put up with BS. They just don't. They know immediately if you are pulling the wool over their eyes or you're a hypocrite. And that's the tough thing for dads is they have to be able to walk the walk. And you can't just slam it on somebody because your kids won't listen to you. This generation of kids, they want to know why. 
You know, it's like with their faith. They want to know why they should believe in Christ, why they should believe in God. They want the whys. And so if you tell them the whys and then you show them the best way to go, their instincts are going to tell them to go there. So you're working with, um, you know, a human that's much more malleable than you think they are because you're told they're not malleable. Right. You, you're told that if you tell your kid, no, they're just going to run away from home. That's not true. Henry Cloud has this brilliant way of handling um, discipline with his daughters. He has two teenage daughters they are probably older now. But anyway, and he would say to them, um, here are the rules of the house. When you go out on a Saturday night, you got to come home at 10 o'clock. You can't date a guy. You can't drink. You can't this. He said, so when Friday night would come, they go off. And he said, now, listen, don't do one of the things you know you're not supposed to do, because then you'll put me in the position when you come home of having to take away your cell phone or your car. So it was all on them. And I thought, that's brilliant. His kids behave. The girls behaved really well. Um, because he sort of made it look like it was their choice. You can do that too. You know, don't go to school and change your clothes in the locker room as soon as you get there. And I find out about it, then you put me in the position of having to take the car away. Bummer. But that's a, that's that's strength and leadership because you're not going to budge. You're just not going to budge. So let me ask you, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about men, which is normal for promise keepers. Um, but um for women, let me give one piece of advice and then I'd ask you to give one because a lot of what you're saying, when some women are going to push back on, especially if they haven't mm-hmm. um, developed trust in their husband all the way. You know, and I would say never disobey or disobey, disagree with your husband in front of your kids. Mm-hmm. So even if you think he's being a knucklehead, mm-hmm. wait until you're alone. Do not undercut his authority by uh, agree with him. And and vice versa too. I, I mean, there were a couple of times I thought my wife was being overly harsh on her kids. I kept my mouth shut until we were alone. It's go, hey, I think maybe you went a little far. And I remember a couple of times my son saying to me, "Dad, Dad," you know, wanting me to jump in. And I said, "Listen to your mother." And then when we got alone, I said, "Maybe it was a little harsh." So I would just say, spouses, you know, husbands, wives, don't ever disagree with each other in front of the kids, even if you're angry or passionate. Wait till you're alone. But what would you say to to wives um, or moms? Because um, we've been spending most of our time on on dads. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally agree. And I think one of the things that we women do, particularly with daughters, is that you know the dad will be telling them something and saying, "No, you shouldn't this or this is right." And the moms will think, "No, no, no, you don't talk to daughters that way." We swoop right. into the middle of the conversation and we take over. I've done this. We have three daughters and a son. And <laughs> that's honest. Oh, it is. And, and you know, it undermines what he's trying to do. And because my husband's a really nice guy, he threw up his hands and walk away. You know, I could write a great book. Why do nice guys marry mean women? I don't know. <laughs> but, over but anyway, and then I learned, he said, don't ever undercut my authority with the girls. And I thought that's right. Because what I'm teaching the girls is dad doesn't know what he's talking about. So you need to listen to me. I never want my kids to think their dad doesn't know what he's talking about. He does know what he's talking about. The only, so you're absolutely right. It has to be behind closed doors where you disagree. The only time I think that wouldn't be wise is if there's physical abuse going on. If you see your husband whapping on one of your kids, uh, 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 because if a child's being abused and the other 
the the the, the wife of the husband doesn't st- stand, um, step in and stop it, um, that kid ends up not trusting either one of them. But yeah. but in general, you're absolutely right. There has to be solidarity. Because if kids smell that there's no solidarity, they will run with that. They will run with it. Well, dad said that you don't know what you're talking about, mom. So why do I have to listen to you? Yeah. That's, you never another, want that. that's another thing. A good, good piece of advice. Never badmouth your spouse to your kids. Boy, your kids are not your friend. They're yeah. your children. If you need desperately to rip on your husband or your wife to someone... Hopefully you never feel that way. But if you do, it it is never appropriate to do it to your kids. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. We, we've had a lot of, I get a lot of comments about the younger generation and their lack of respect for authority, which you know, that's kind of common on every generation. They think the younger kids don't. But this, I think truly this generation does not seem to respect authority you know, when when I was running companies and stuff, I would see kids that come in and just did not have the natural deference to eldership that that we all did. But I think there's a good reason for it because they've learned that our adults are morons. And now what I, I say that by um, how much have we all complained? Now we've seen everyone gets a participation trophy. There's no winners and losers. Well, every boy knows there's a winner and loser. Mm-hmm. Play a soccer game, and adults say we're not going to keep score. It's not well. Okay, every kid, every boy on that soccer field is keeping score. It was 12 to eight and I scored two goals and Johnny scored three and Doug scored one. So I'm better than Doug, but not as good as Johnny. I mean, every boy knows that because that's where how they're wired. And then when adults say, no, we don't, there was no score. We don't. Yeah, it was 12 to eight and we won. No, you didn't win. So at six or seven or eight years old, we're already being programmed now. Adults are stupid because that's how boys are processing. And it continues on. And I think there's something inside a lot of these kids that is getting to the idea of telling me that that I can be whatever gender I want. No, I have a penis. Mm-hmm. I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. So by the time they are getting now to their 20s, I do think that there's a big part of our youth that's like, adults are dumb. And so I, I do think we've kind of earned as a culture, mm-hmm. we've earned the lack of respect that we're seeing from kids. And that therefore, we as parents need to be strong for their sake, because nobody else is. Right. Well, and I think that all happened as we saw that sort of um, the moral plumb line just disappear. You know, there was no right and wrong and, and it was all relative and that kind of a thing. And and what we did is we taught our kids, there really is no moral plumb line because I'm going to agree with whatever. I don't really stand for anything um, because I don't want to make you upset. And kids know that's not right. Kids know there's a right and the wrong, but 
but their parents aren't spelling it out for them. And they see their parents as incredibly weak. And kids can't deal with that because they're looking to their parents for guidance. But when parents say, well, you know, it's really up to you to choose. We see with five-year-olds, it's really up to you to choose whether you want this to eat or this to eat or this to eat. My kids didn't get a choice. I mean, this is what I'm serving, but kids don't see their parents stand for anything and they see them as very superficial. They see their parents as very egotistical. And that's why, you know, I was talking about pushing kids to be something they really don't want to be. And as I said, kids are smarter than that and they're incredibly frustrated and, and, and they're angry and they want deeper answers. You know, even as Christian kids, you know, they were told, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. But they weren't told why. They weren't told why Jesus was who he is and, and how he was and how, why God the Father is the Father. You know, we, we just sort of didn't have the time to do that, but we went, made sure they went to youth group and Sunday school. Well, you know, kids wanted more. And so I think those things all kind of combined. We did set ourselves up for um, having kids that didn't respect us because the whole entitlement, you're absolutely right. Kids will walk into these jobs, you know, with no graduate degree or whatever, and they want $250,000 a year. And you think, what? You know, um, and so, but I think you're right. And I and I I never like kind of pointing the finger at parents and going, you know, you did a bad job. I always want to do the encouraging thing. But I do think we have an issue and a problem. And we, we, we taught our kids that winning was everything. They were always going to win. And they didn't need to struggle. Struggle was just not in the American um, uh, vernacular. You know, they didn't fail, fail. They didn't need to struggle. And this is why everybody has the ribbons. because you know, failing is so bad. We just can't let you do that. I can say as someone who has failed a lot, it, it's uh, definitely worth it. And Charles it Bronson. Worth it. Because if you think about people who are successful at anything, you know, relationships, their work, their friendships, these are people who know failure really well and they've had to stand back up again and go at it again. If you've never known what a messed up relationship or messed up or work ethic or whatever, how it works, you'll never know how to do it right. And so people that are really successful have failed and struggled a lot, a lot. That's right. And it's a good thing. I mean, if you look at the two greatest Americans, or at least we, we traditionally thought of that, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. I mean, nobody was a bigger, bigger failure than Abraham Lincoln over and over and over. I think it was he lost 42 elections. Mm -hmm. He won one and he was congressman for one term. He lost every other election until he was president. And then when he was president, he faced a horrific, you know, civil war and stood strong because of all that failure. George Washington was a similar deal. I mean, he he was very wealthy, probably the wealthiest man in the colonies I've read like every book there is on George Washington. But that guy had failure after failure. Um, and then when he faced horror tragedy, I mean, the Revolutionary War, what he went through, the lack of money, troops quitting, deserting because they weren't getting paid. And he could have sailed off to his rich sugar plantations in Barbados at any time. And he never wavered. There's something about failing and standing strong. And that's biblical. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, one of the 
deepest fears of a parent's life is that we'll fail as a parent. You know, that's when you, we were talking a, a while ago about the 16-year-old girl and the dad was estranged or he messed up. Um, parents do mess up and sometimes they do get estranged, but that doesn't stop you. You don't go, oh, well, I blew it. I'm done. And I think that sometimes we cower from failure too because we're afraid we're going to mess up our kids. So we don't want to, we really don't want to fail in any area. Um, and this is why I think we put them in a box and say, you have to be this way. You have to be this way because that makes me feel good. And then I'm not a failure as a parent. We have to be able to engage our failure, even as a parent. Um, I joke uh, because, you know, with four kids, um, you know, I don't know, my husband and I made a lot of mistakes. And don't worry about mistakes you made that the kids are um, going to forget it because when they're in their 20s, they give you this list of all the things you did wrong. Why did you do this and why did you do that? And, you know, and so they're going to, but it's okay, but we've got to be able to say, you know, I did. And I'm so sorry. I yelled at you and I'm so sorry. I forgot you at school that day. And, you know, that's why I got a cell phone because I forgot one of my kids at school. I said, okay, I can't do that anymore. But um, that's what we do. And we have to be able to live with that and forgive ourselves and, and, and to not make life for ourselves so neat, but and not let it get our pride as parents get, get in the way. Because sometimes we, we may do things that are bad enough for our kids want to be estranged from us. Um, but we have to be able to look at that and say, okay, what part of that was mine? You know, because it's, it's never just 100% you have a bad kid. I mean, you know, there's always parenting stuff. And so I think we've been afraid to do that. We've taught our kids, it's, you know, you really don't want to fail. You have to be okay. And so you're absolutely right. We sort of created this and we, and we um, got our kids, this is how we prepared them for life. And it doesn't serve them very well. Uh, for all the men out there, I would really encourage you to get her books. They're easy reads, they're full of, of stories. Some of them we didn't come, come up to today, but are tragic. And if you're a man thinking, well, what does a woman have to teach me about being a father and man? I will tell you, she's not a woman teaching you. She is an expert in child psychology who's dealt with tragedy after tragedy for years and has a lot of really good advice about how to be a dad from the perspective of the kids that she has treated. Uh, so I would really encourage you to get her stuff. Let me just give you the last word, Meg, and then you can sign us out of here on you know the last bit of stuff you would say to, to dads and moms. You know, I believe that one of the things that I really want to do and I'm called to do is, is not to criticize dads. You know, um, I wrote a book called Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. And a lot of men said, no, 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 I can't read that. I'm not a hero. I said, you're missing it from your kid's perspective. You're a hero and you need to know that. And so really what I want to do is, I, I again, I really believe if, if fathers could get a little peek into their kids' hearts and minds, um, they would really see they have everything it takes to be a great dad, but dads don't believe that. And so I don't come along and tell you what not to do. I come along and say, this is what your kids want. 
and you can do it. I mean, you really can. It's not rocket science because what they want and need from you is really pretty simple. Um, I would also encourage dads. I started an online community parenting great kids. Somebody asked me why I call it great. I thought because all kids have greatness. And in the community, you can find it from my website or Facebook page. Actually, I have a button on our Facebook page just for uh, Promise Keepers. We're ha having a group just for dads. Because I think it's helpful sometimes. Men hear so much from one another, and it's wonderful. But to have a, a place to hear from your kids. And that's really what I, I'm a spokesperson for kids. Because a lot of dads will say, well, what do I do with my kid here? And, and I'm a single dad. What do I do with my daughter here? What does she want? What does she need? And that's why I can come in and step and say, this is what your kids want you to do. And that goes along with your dad instincts. So act on it. Don't be afraid. Act on it. And so I would just encourage, um, you know, dads to go to the Facebook page and click on the Promise Keepers button under um, uh, where you see my face. Men need so much encouragement. And here's another thing I could do, Ken. And I will tell you, I've gotten death threats from women, um, which is wow. wild because I tell women what to do and what not to do with husbands. And that <laughs> makes them mad. I can tell you. Yeah, I can tell a woman, look, your husband needs to, to weigh in or be in charge of your daughter's wardrobe. They won't have anything about it. No way, no way, no way. You can't disagree with your husband in front of your kids um, because um, it's it undermines him. Oh, truly <laughs> death threats. Wow. Because women are trained so much to be independent and autonomous from their husbands and everybody. I don't know that men are trained that, that much. I mean, they're, they're told they're stupid. Women are told they can be everything and they don't need anything. And we are, are an autonomous unit that can run our families. So when you come along and tell them they can't, they don't like it very much. And I just wanted to say one thing you mentioned, don't criticize, um, don't criticize your spouse to your kids. Please, if you're a divorced parent, if you're a woman listening or a dad, please, I beg you, don't criticize your ex because you're sabotaging your child's relationship with your spouse. And if you're an angry mom who left her husband, you can divorce the guy, but your kid can't and they don't want to be divorced. So you need to do everything you can to strengthen that relationship, even though you don't like your spouse. So for your kids' sake, please don't bash your ex in front of your kids. If you want to bash, go to a friend and, and you know, dump on the friend about how horrible your wife is or ex. Not to your kids. It'll come back to bite you terribly. How many teenage kids have I seen who were raised by their mothers? The father was a creep. He, he deserved for her to take off, but she spent her whole life ripping on him. Yep. And now the teenage kid thinks, well, I'm going to go live with that guy. That, it really does backfire. It backfires and it ends up hurting the person who's criticizing the spouse. It ends mm -hmm. up hurting their relationship with their kid better because kids get older and they see what's really going on. And they're like, mom, are you kidding me? Dad is not that. And then they get mad at the mom mm -hmm. and, and they're going to be estranged. But it's just not fair to kids to pit them against the other parent just because you don't like them. Well, thank you. This was really, really awesome. Um, I hope people got a lot out of it and you can get way more from, from 
Dr. Meeker's books as I did. I mean, they're phenomenal. Um, any any website you want to give people to go to? Um, MeekerParenting.com. And I really would encourage men to check out our private community, Parenting Great Kids, because I've done a lot, Ken. I've written books. I've spoken to thousands of people. What I really, really want to do, you know, is, is to connect with parents, particularly dads, and say, you got this. You've really got it. And I don't care what you're thinking at this minute and what maybe you think you're a screw up as a dad, you've got enough. You know, you've got enough to to reconcile with your kids. So never give up. Like Winston Churchill, never, 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 never give up. Mm. I don't know how many times he said the never, but it, it impressed me. So that's what I would say to dads right now. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This was, uh, again, I. I I love talking to you and so much wisdom. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.